0: Section 15 of Mrs. Diamond. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Diamond by Anne Isabella Thackeray Ritchie. Book 2. Chapter 7. Monsieur Caron's History of Socialism. Thanks to the human heart by which we live samuel taylor coleridge meanwhile max du is walking along the dark streets that lead from soho into piccadilly late as it is little children are still out and about staring at the gas lights in the shop sitting on the doorsteps a little girl comes up shyly with flowers to sell another with matches a man goes by with a truck shouting out pine apples in the darkness squalid people walk up the middle of the street boldly for the night clothes their rags then finally du pare reaches piccadilly and its blaze of lights and rush of flourishing life he passes the corner of Eiderdown's hotel where susanna dwells the colonel comes out at the swing-door on his way to the club and max recognises him and passes on he could almost have laughed out suddenly remembering the worthy couple's pottering progress among the pictures that morning there's a certain similarity in the dry independent humour of french people and scotch people max inherited together with his father's gaiety a certain grim sarcastic turn from his mother and the forgies her ancestors madam had but little now to remind her of the forgies and her early days at pollock in b except indeed the faithful memories she still retained of her youth she had christened her only son maxwell after the laird of the village where she was born for although madame du Pare had never seen pollock again and the good laird was gone to his rest the scotch lady still looked upon him as a person of european importance it was after over twenty years work as a teacher in a provincial school that madame with infinite condescension had accepted the hand of the arithmetic master of the establishment on his promotion to a small appointment at one of the colleges in paris their united savings were judiciously invested in the villa at neuilly and it was a just cause of satisfaction to madame du parc to reflect that this pretty propriety as she called it would eventually go to her son who also on his mother's side enjoyed the privilege of the ancient blood of the Forges, flowing purple in his veins the late m du was from the south of france and of very humble extraction his parents had worked in a tanyard at avignon his blood was not blue but of the ordinary colour nevertheless it was to the du that max as they called him owed his good looks his dark eyes his frizzed black hair his well-cut limbs and marked features the nobler forges, as represented by madame his mother must have been squat and sandy in appearance at the same time they were a determined and hard-working race with a certain wholesome tenacity of life and will in which the elder duparc had certainly been wanting he had been an honest man an enthusiast in his youth almost entirely led by one or two of his friends chief among whom had been m a paper manufacturer in the neighbourhood with an establishment near paris a man of some note a philanthropist and benevolent experimentalist belonging to any number of isms and prisms of fancy when Duparc died at paris not very long after his marriage this caron the owner of the paper mills who was a generous and exceptional person came forward to help the widow with her boy's education and later on paid the fees for his apprenticeship max by his own wish was bound to an engraver his patron would have taken him into his business but maxwell had set his mind upon art in some shape his mother meanwhile kept house as we know took in her boarders gave lessons in english or in french let the villa du parc furnish two families from england and ireland to m Marny, the newspaper correspondent and his family among others and made out a respectable living showing no lack of energy and shrewdness in her arrangements so time went on max worked hard and with credit to himself and his patron he made friends he grew up tall and active and animated he had plenty of spirit and natural gaiety and insouciance although sometimes of late when he came away from his long visits to his godfather leaving him absorbed in his dreams of possible truth for his dreams were of the truth max had begun to ask himself more seriously for what did he himself live of what did he dream everybody wishes for happiness of one or another sort for themselves or for other people for those they love or for the human race caron's heart ached for the human race his hopeful nature pointed to better things in the future than those which were now past max who was younger and more definite in his desires might have confessed had you cross-questioned him that he still possessed a personality still wished for as much happiness as ever he could get for himself for his old mother for his many friends as well as for his country and by happiness he certainly meant success power money luxury even that tangible sign of comfort and well-being for the romance of his nature had been somewhat hidden and overshadowed by constant toil by a certain loneliness at home and by its dry economic aspect of things max could not help feeling some effort of mind in suiting himself to the worthy people among whom he lived the necessity for living among them had induced a certain recklessness of acquiescence which perhaps savoured of contempt as he grew older year by year the high-bred artistic instincts in him put him into a different relation with his natural companions in life but caron was the person with whom he used to feel most at ease caron's influence was very great and the constant presence of that gentle philosophy had ended by strangely impressing the young man who was the son of an optimist be it remembered although his mother was a practical woman the human race is farther away at six-and-twenty than at sixty years of age madame du Pare was frightened by her son's enthusiasm she was grateful for caron's kindness she profoundly mistrusted his lubies as she called them yes lubies that is the word listen max do not let him persuade you to leave your work for the good of any of those humanities she used to say humanity is nothing at all nothing but lazy fellows who will not work and are turned off from their ateliers caron much as he loved max his godson never attempted to persuade him to anything the old man came and went his own way busy with his own schemes he was an excellent man of business his manufactory flourished notwithstanding his experiments sometimes caron himself would leave the whole thing and mysteriously disappear for long periods he would go abroad or come over to london on errands of his own Tonight, night when max met him at fourchettes young max had not even known that caron was in england but his godfather seemed pleased to see him had given him his address and told him to come to him in the lodging where he was living over a little toy-shop in the brompton road in his lodging in brompton by the light of the green lamp in the window the old man sat with max beside him late into that night bending across his papers there were maps of europe piles of manuscripts written in a delicate foreign hand heaps of letters neatly strapped and ticketed everything caron did was orderly and if one may use the expression respectful to him nothing was common nothing worthless he was an amateur perhaps a dreamer but there was a certain gentle magnanimity and method in his visions which comprehended small things and humble as well as great ones he showed a certain courtesy to the troubles and wants of life which is far less commonly met with than the pity they must always inspire max looking round the shabby room could not but contrast it with that of his friend the editors where amid disordered heaps crumpled proofs and dirty velvet cushions among gilt confusion and statuettes and vulgar ornamentation Haas extended in his arm-chair sat puffing out the law here in the shabby orderly room caron with grey hairs bent at his work patiently searching for the truth deferring to others even while he was planning their interests what caron had to propose to max was also a publication one which he had at heart a publication for the people a book to be illustrated by max with lithographs and woodblocks and engravings and cheap carbon reprints of photographs on the cheapest paper to be published at the lowest price a history of socialism from the earliest times a history explaining the real meaning of the word of that divine theory by which the rich and the good and the capable were to teach their secrets to the poor and the dull and the incapable to show them how to be self-respecting and respected by others industrious and commensurably rewarded the disciples of truth of justice were to break the bread of spiritual life and dispense it to the hungry multitudes still alas fainting in the wilderness the free were to teach freedom to teach hatred of wrong and at the same time just rebellion against unjust oppression it was to be the modern version of the miracle of the loaves and fishes Caron's life and heart were in his book he had worked at it from time to time for years past writing it down in words living it in his daily life more eloquently than by any words the chapters were to begin with the earliest mythologies and dawn of natural science and travelling on from one age to another from one mind to another from law to law from experience to experience to record the progress of knowledge of truth to point to an ever-continuing faith in the human race an everlasting hope to preach the true fusion of interests human and divine help and love meeting want and callous ignorance knowledge and justice raising misery and crime we must not fear said caron to preach the salutary transforming elements which alas with pain and violence at times divide true and natural laws from those social phenomena which are nothing only illusions of men's making evil is but a force to be lifted to higher aims crush it and imprison it by bonds and sooner or later these will fail to constrain max listened in silence as his godfather talked in his low calm voice so gentle so convinced all his life he had loved and admired the old man respected his generosity and trusted it even though he sometimes smiled at his utopian dreams max knew that Caron, who had been born rich had spent more than one fortune in his day upon others he had helped his generation with a liberal hand and spent hundreds for the good of men who had never benefited by his aid max was one of the exceptions to the many who owed so much to him and who had repaid him with failure and lazy ingratitude this one pupil had honestly and gratefully profited by caron's past kindness duparc thought as caron talked on that night that he could have made a fine drawing of the eager delicate pale face shining in the light of the lamp and of its own hopes this book this book shall be a bible to the poor man cried caron it shall show him how to hope how to work how to admire those who have gone before our high priests our martyrs our teachers how many more are there whose names are scarcely known you max the engraver know poor marion's work he too was one of us and now said caron smiling though i have promised your mother that i would never try to tempt you from your career and your own work to help me in mine the moment has come when you can help me materially by your work leave that man with the champagne and the shabby offers and come and labour for me and for those who want your help leave that editor with his low ambitions and vulgar promises high quarters is this a time when the emperor should be amusing himself with picture-books i mistrust that Haas he wants your name max rather than your talent but you have a conscience my son as your father had before you have nothing to do with that shopkeeper i have better work for you to do you know very well papa caron that i should always do any work you wanted said du Parc, laughing i think you are hard on m Haas. there is no harm in his making a bargain any more than in my refusing it his offer is shabby but as times go it is not so bad before i accept or reject it tell me exactly what it is i am to do for you and caron who for all his dreams was a clear-headed and extraordinarily capable man of business explained at some length and with great exactitude what it was he required what he required was enough to take up the young man's time for many months to come and consequently it was impossible for max to hope to accomplish the work which hoss had proposed to him the drawings from the national gallery must go to someone else one of the smaller volumes that of the private collections in the west of england du Parc hoped he might still execute it was not without a sigh that he rang at the bell and asked to see monsieur haas the next day and explained to him the reason of his change of mind in vain haas augmented his offers du Parc would only agree to undertake the one volume Coron wants his drawings done at once if you have any more work for me later i shall be glad of it said the young engraver but i can't fail him you are wrong altogether wrong cries Haas. you are engaging yourself to an old imbecile who has no notion of affairs max came back early next day to the toy-shop and for an hour or two the master and his pupil sat together with the first few chapters and elaborate notes of the book of books spread on the table before them while caron stood explaining dilating planning this illustration and that symbols compositions that were to take the working man's fancy to remain imprinted on his mind and lead him insensibly to the truth one picture most especially of his own composition did good old caron insist upon there was to be a rising sun the rays of light were to be shining upon a great globe scattered with the wrecks of past ages fetters lying broken on the ground spears and cannon overturned and the symbols of war rent asunder the rainbow of peace and universal tranquillity shining in the sky of course i can draw anything you like but what do you think all this will do duparc said laughing at last almost against his will men will note this those who have not patience to read my words will see your pictures and will ask what the meaning of the riddle may be the voice of truth is not to be silenced the very stones cry out said Coron gravely all life is a symbol a secret to be discovered as he spoke an open carriage drawn by two livery horses stopped at the door of the shop below shaking the low room with its sudden vibration in the carriage was seated a beautiful young woman dressed in the fashion and an older man grey military upright by her side at the lady's desire the servant jumped down from the box and went into the shop apparently to make some purchase and while the carriage waited it so chanced that a beggar in many rags came up followed by a shabby woman with a sleeping child wrapped in a tattered shawl the window was open and the two men in the little room which was close over the toy-shop could not help assisting at the scene the man shuffled up and in a whining voice began to ask for money to get his tools out of pawn and somewhat rudely touched the lady on the shoulder to attract her attention how dare you be off you fellow cried the gentleman starting from his seat with sudden irascibility take care i will give you in charge on the spot and he called angrily to the coachman to drive on the coachman whipped his horses and one of the wheels just grazed the beggar's foot damn them said the man to the woman as the two heaps of rags stood side by side on the pavement looking after the carriage i could drive in a carriage too if i had one said the woman with another oath then she looked up for caron was leaning far out of his window and calling to attract their attention here he cried get your tools out of pledge my friends do your own work do not demean yourself to beg of others and he threw down a couple of half-crowns which rolled in different directions across the pavement while the beggars leapt to catch them the occupants of the carriage returning on its wheels saw the scene the young lady looked up in amazement at the eager grey head and outstretched hand the gentleman pulled angrily at his moustache the servant came out from the shop with some parcel the whole equipage rolled away duparc had drawn back into the shade of the curtain i know that girl he said she has just married that old fellow for his money she is a friend of my mother's she has a candid face said caron poor thing she deserves a happier fate end of section 15 who had been born rich